You know when it's happening. Your breathing might become more shallow. Your mind starts racing, and you feel like there's a brick in the pit of your stomach. You might even feel a sense of deja vu. You're so irritated, you can't even hear what the other person is saying. Our question this episode: What can we do when someone's behavior is triggering to us? Welcome to episode thirty of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. I'm your host Beth Bilo. Thank you so much for joining me. In this episode, I will offer some thoughts on a relatively new awareness I experienced this past week. It left me in a How Can I Say This place, and even wondering if I needed to say anything at all. Let's get right to it. Everyone has something or someone in their lives that triggers them. When we're triggered, certain people, behaviors, situations, or words happening in the present cause us to relive an emotion or experience from the past. The most obvious example of this is someone living with PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. If something happens that brings to mind the past traumatic event, for instance, fireworks, a car accident, a crying baby, an anniversary, that person's emotions associated with the trauma will be activated, and it's like they're back in the moment of the trauma. That's a very simplistic definition, but it captures the essence of the idea. Of course, the word "triggered" has come to be applied in much less traumatic events, such as when a person gets upset because they don't get their way, or they respond angrily when presented with information that doesn't match their worldviews. It's probably more accurate in those cases to say that your buttons have been pushed, because what's being activated is probably not trauma, but feelings of Frustration, being disrespected, or not being in control. Granted, there could be an underlying emotional trauma that's getting triggered. For instance, someone might get triggered if they feel like their opinions aren't being considered at work, and that takes them back to childhood when no one listened to them and they felt invisible. I can think of a few people in my life who push my buttons. Whether or not I'm technically triggered, I don't know. But that's part of what I want to explore in the spirit of us learning together. Let me describe two of those people. One is very self-promotional. She is the queen of the humble brag. She'll post on Facebook that her clients think she's the cat's meow, and then all of her friends will pile on with comments like "You're such a rock star" and "You go, girl," and. Uh, my first reaction is yuck. <laughs>、um, her posts on Facebook got so annoying to me. I hid her feed so that I wouldn't have to stomach it. But does hiding her really make me feel any better? Another person comes across as condescending and smug. At least that's how I experience him. Others fall at his feet and act like he's the end-all, be-all of experts. Almost everything he says puts me on the defensive, which makes it hard for me to hear if he's actually offering any value, or maybe really does know what he's talking about. And I should add, he's triggered me almost since day one, and day one was about five years ago. Since I'm currently part of a project with this person, I try to power through my annoyance, not wanting to jeopardize our professional relationship. But. Does powering through do me or him any favors? 
There are a few directions to go with these situations, and I'm going to focus on two symbiotic options. The first option is to use my response to these two people as an opportunity for introspection and personal growth, and therefore keeping the matter completely to myself. Choosing this option means that I'll be having a courageous conversation with myself. The second option is to determine what part of my reaction is subjectively about my personal stories and what part is objectively about someone acting in a distasteful, disrespectful, or otherwise unacceptable manner. Looking at it from this second perspective may or may not involve a conversation with the other person. In both cases, I'm going to refer to what's happening as interpersonal triggering. I define interpersonal triggering as one that's between two people, but only one person, and that's the person who is triggered, is aware of what's happening. And it's not directly related to an identified past trauma, but nevertheless, it does activate a strong reaction. A popular quote from Carl Jung sums up the essence of option one. He said, everything that irritates us about others can lead us to an understanding of ourselves. There's a bit of ouch to that realization, isn't there? It really feels uncomfortable. Because if we take that idea to heart, it means that the very thing that triggers or irritates or inspires a strong reaction is a reflection of us. It's not about the other person. It's about us. It's often a reflection of something we want or something we don't like in ourselves. For instance, let's take that person whose Facebook humble bragging drives me crazy. What are the thoughts that go through my mind? My internal monologue might sound like, why does she feel a need to do that? Does she think she's better than the rest of us? Does she even think we care? Is she just looking for attention? She must be really insecure. When it comes to the colleague who I experience as arrogant, my internal monologue might include all of those same thoughts. Plus, he's not respectful of us. He thinks we all report to him or something. He always sounds so self-righteous, like if you don't see things the same way he does, you're an idiot. And we don't dare question him. If we do... He'll talk in circles and turn it around and make it seem like we're foolish for even bringing up the point. Why do people bow down and kiss his feet? I just don't get it. And I have to say, you just got an inside peek of my brain right there. But I don't feel embarrassed by what sound like very petty thoughts, because I know from conversations with trusted friends that we all have these same thoughts. We've all had the who-do-they-think-they-are thought at one time or another. What we haven't always done is turn that question around and use it to examine our own feelings of self-worth, trust, and competence. And that's the exact opportunity that's being presented. With both people, I'm most likely experiencing an interpersonal trigger because they are reflecting something that I want. I say that I despise humble bragging and arrogance, but maybe, just maybe, there is part of me that wishes I were more confident about putting myself out there and sharing what I'm proud of. Or perhaps I wish I could state my opinions more firmly and to do so without disclaimers or self-deprecation. 
my reaction could signal that I crave respect or admiration or to be seen as a leader and that I'm not getting enough of that kind of feedback. This situation of learning from an irritation came up with a coaching client recently. She found herself getting irritated every time her coworker took a personal phone call when he should have been working. My client's work ethic told her that you do not mix personal and professional business. She thought it was extremely disrespectful that he did not share that same ethic. So what was really going on? We took a step back. Was it such a terrible thing that every once in a while he'd take a personal call and talk for a few minutes? Did it disrupt anyone else in the office or cause his work to suffer in any way? Let's, for argument's sake, say that it wasn't such a terrible thing and it wasn't disruptive. That leaves us with the question of, why does it bother you? It's irritating in part because there's a values mismatch. My client thinks it's inappropriate and values clear personal professional boundaries. And her coworker seems to value his personal life more than his professional life. If we dig a little bit, we discover that a few months ago, my client struggled when her brother was ill and she felt bad about being at work when she could have been helping him. She did her best to keep that situation away from the office, even when it was painful. Would she have liked to have kept in touch by phone during the day? Of course she would. But she did not see that as an option. She didn't want her boss to think that she was distracted and not able to do her job. And now she has this co-worker who doesn't even seem to have an emergency going on in his life, talking on the phone whenever he feels like it. He doesn't seem to care what anybody thinks. You can probably hear where this is going. My client is irritated because her colleague doesn't care what other people think, and he's choosing to do something that she wishes she could have done all those months ago when her brother was ill. Upon reflection, she might realize that there's a part of her that cares too much what others think, and that keeps her from doing what she really wants. That realization shifts her relationship with her coworker because if she sees that he's holding up a mirror to her, she has to come to terms with a new piece of information about herself. In this instance, it's the possibility that she lets her worries about what other people think stop her from doing the things that she wants to do. And that's a perfect segue to our second option, which becomes possible if we've gotten real and honest with ourselves. Now that we've peeled back a few layers to find out what our reaction can teach us, we can look at the situation more objectively. To continue with my client's situation, there is an element that's cause for legitimate concern, that of her colleague taking care of personal business during work hours. Just because we choose to extrapolate a personal lesson from the situation doesn't mean there's not something wrong. If she decides that behavior is worth addressing, she has to separate her emotional reaction from the policies that she sees being violated. Doing so completely changes the conversation. In the first place, she might decide that, yes, he is violating the no personal stuff at work policy, but that it doesn't happen that often and it doesn't interfere with him getting his work done and it's not affecting her ability to get her work done. If it's not doing any harm, is it even worth mentioning? She might decide it's not. But what if she decides it's important enough to discuss? 
Now she can isolate the behavior without injecting the interpersonal trigger aspect. That particular piece of self-awareness isn't important to the conversation. It's only important to her, and she has to decide what she's going to do with it. So when it's time for the conversation with her colleague, she can share with him that she's noticed that he's had to take a lot of personal calls lately and that she finds it distracting since she can hear the entire conversation. Would he please take those calls on his breaks or during lunch? If she feels there's enough mutual trust and wants to maybe open up a can of worms, she could ask him if everything's okay. That goes in the category of assuming best intent. And if she's assuming best intent, she would choose to believe that he would be breaking policy if there wasn't a good reason. If being direct with her colleague doesn't work, another option is to share what's happening with her supervisor. This is not about tattling on the other person, but rather to report that there's a problem and to seek coaching or support around it. Her supervisor might have observed this behavior as well, but hadn't felt compelled to do anything about it because no one had complained. If the supervisor knows it's become disruptive, that might be the catalyst for them to finally address it. When it comes to the interpersonal triggers I shared at the start of this episode, those that were personal to me, I've decided not to say anything ever in the case of the humble brag Facebook friend. She's not a close friend, and it would really serve no purpose. I mean, she can post whatever she wants, and it has zero effect on my life. It only has as much effect as I allow it to have. Regarding the professional colleague, I'm now aware that there's part of me that's responding to his arrogance because I wish I was a bit more confident. But I'm also aware that he can sometimes treat his peers disrespectfully, and that might manifest in ways that impact our work. And in that case, I will find a tactful yet direct way to raise the issue. And in both cases, it's important to realize that just because you see something in that other person that you might need, the way it shows up for you is not going to be the same thing. So when I am admiring, or I shouldn't even say admiring, when I am noticing that my humble brag Facebook friend is telling me in you know subconscious ways that I would like to be more confident, that doesn't mean that I should start doing the same thing on Facebook. It does mean that I should reflect for myself what would it look like and feel like what would be authentic for me to show up more confidently. So it doesn't have to mirror whatever the behavior you're seeing, but you do need to like internalize it and decide how is this going to show up for me. And before I offer your call to action, I invite you to visit this episode webpage at howcanisaythis.com. And from there, you can also access past episodes, you can subscribe, and you can offer feedback. You'll also find information about leaving a review for the show. And it only takes a few minutes. And by taking that tiny extra step, you are helping others find this podcast and benefit from it. An occasional feature of this podcast is responding to listener questions about conflict, communication, connection, and relationship building. I welcome your questions for inclusion in a future episode, and you'll find that online submission form and other instructions at howcanisaythis.com. If it has anything to do with sticky communication situations, send your questions our way. Here's your call to action. The next time you have a heightened emotional response to someone, take a step back and ask yourself, is there something this person is doing or saying that gives me information about myself? 
is the thing that annoys me telling me something that I don't like in myself, or is it revealing something I wish that I had more or less of? You might come to the conclusion that no, that other person is just being a jerk, or they're just breaking the rules, pure and simple, and that conflicts with your sense of fairness. In that case, you might decide to have a conversation with them, or you might decide that you're willing to ignore it. In which case, it would serve you well to release the charged feelings that you are experiencing and not let yourself continue to be annoyed. If you do find that your reaction is revealing a blind spot in your own thinking, sit with that and explore it. See the irritation as a gift that has allowed you to grow and evolve. I hope you found value in dissecting what's happening when we become triggered or irritated by someone else. I'm not a psychologist, so I don't consider my thoughts to necessarily be clinically correct. I come at this from my perspective as a coach and what I've learned through my formal training, my work with clients, and my own continued learning. I'm always in process, as I imagine you are as well. And I'm really appreciative that you have joined me on this listening journey. This is Beth Bilo, and you have been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Courageously.